All right, well, today I am in Melbourne, Australia with Dan Clifton from 1300 Temp Fence. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's uh, not the first time 1300 has actually been on the podcast. So Bruce Foraker was one of our early episodes, um, but a lot has changed since then. So we thought we would catch up and just learn a bit more about where the company's going. Definitely. Um, I think uh, we, we caught up at the trade show in Adelaide and I was walking through and I saw Site HQ labeled everything around and I was yes. like, what's Site HQ? And then I saw your logo there as well and I had a few questions. So we'll get into what Site HQ is in a second, but maybe you just want to introduce yourself, explain how you first got into the industry and what your role is. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So probably like all of your guests, I've stumbled across the hire industry. So I was living in London in 2008. Um, basically just um, backpacking, um, needed a job. Friend got me a job in construction um, on a building, a multiplex building site for a, a facade contractor. Um, I had no experience in construction. I just sort of stumbled into it. Um, really enjoyed it for two and a half years and then came back to Australia wanting to, f to work in the construction industry, um, but didn't find it as easy to, I guess, get, in, get into the industry without sort of mm. qualifications and things so I had a good friend um, Anthony McMahon that worked at Coates Hire um, and then my the footy club I was a part of um, Jared Biddleston and Tony Crotty uh, were part of that and they were both senior guys at Coates Hire so there was a bit of an in there so I, I started at Coates as a sales coordinator in 2010 um, basically entry level learning learning from the ground up um, moved into a, a, an account manager role in the local area in Brooklyn um, enjoyed that for about a year and then moved into major projects. Um, so there was quite a good progression through Coates. Um, what I did establish at Coates was there was a, an event BDM role in Victoria. Um, and I actually studied events at uni prior to going overseas. So I saw that as an opportunity mm. to move back into the events industry and start to use some yeah. of my, my studies. Um, so I eventually got, got that role after pestering the guys a bit to once, once it was vacated um, and did that for probably two years and then moved over to Harry the Hiro to work purely in the event industry. So I was there for near, nearly four years at Harry's to working on you know, major events, Grand Prix, Tennis Australia, um, Flemington Spring Carnival, doing some amazing events. Those, those guys do a great job. Um, then probably after four years was looking for the next opportunity and that's when 1310 Fence approached me to be their national event manager. They were mm. looking to grow their event business. Um, so yeah, Paul Sass gave me a call and sounded me out just to see whether I was interested. And I met with the guys, and it was a great opportunity to to join a nice, you know, they, they, I got a really good feel off the owners and the CEO Steve um, when I met with them and came on board in 2019, um, just pre-pandemic. Did a, a good a full year in events here, and then the pandemic hit. Um, and I probably thought I was surplus to requirements at that point because there was no events yeah. to supply. Um, I was actually just doing a, an internal newsletter to send out to the business because um, <laughs> everyone was working remotely from home. So I was just trying to do different things to engage people. Um, and I thought after a few weeks of that that I'm probably not going to be needed for much longer. And it was at that, that, that point that Steve asked if I'd move into the to run their sales business, um, their trading sales business. So we're a, we're a hire and sales business, which is a little bit unique um, in our industry. So we, 
hire out all, everything we hire, we also sell to the market. So mm. we sell to competitors, uh, hire competitors. We, we sell them products so they can hire them out against us. And <laughs> that's quite an interesting dynamic. Um, but yeah, so I've been doing that for probably three years. Um, and been yeah really really enjoyed it. it's been a little bit different to what i was used to and what's your role today so my role now is general manager of site hq which is our our sales business so um that launched at the hire show in 2022 uh in adelaide um so basically our our temporary fence hire business is one through under temp fence and if you want to purchase any of our products you head over and deal with us at site hq so mm. the idea with site hq um was that we had probably half a dozen different sales brands. Um, Tempfence Superstore, the Portable Toilet Company, 1300 Star Pickets, 1300 Shade Cloth, different online websites and stores for every business or product category. And we wanted to bring them under one roof um, and just make it a bit easier, easier for us to deal with. Um, yeah. Yeah, all right, so let's backtrack a little bit yes. and go back to the codes days. Yes. <laughs> so. So I'm interested to know when you were working in that construction. You said the multiplex over in, in the UK. In the UK, yeah. So when you when you first got your your job uh, as a sales coordinator, yep. you said, like, how easy was that to transition in from working in construction, or was it still just completely fresh? Do you think? C completely fresh. So you, you had an understanding of the customers, and you'd, you'd you'd been on the other side of the fence, I guess, and dealing with higher companies um, over in the UK. But yeah, it was completely it was a it was a brand new role effectively so i started off completely green it i was i think i was probably 28 when i started at, at coats and yeah it was great to learn from the mm. from the ground up just how how a high business operated and it set me up well to sort of work you know work my way through the business and the roles i had at coats yeah and then harry the hire like that, that's they're probably number one i would say for events yeah they'd be They'd be close to number one in the world for what they do in terms of the their unique products and their the structures as their I guess their strong suit structures mm. and productions probably now as well with like AV and things they're doing some amazing things but yeah world leading in terms of what they produce I mean we're very lucky in Australia to be able to go to major events and have them as the the number one supplier because they truly do um, unique and amazing things. What's the, do you know the backstory for the name? Well, I, yeah, I, I think um, so. R Rick Jamison's the owner of Harry the Hirer. Um, I'm actually we went to the hire and rental general meeting, and they were handing out a copy of his book last week, and I started reading it. So I actually do know the answer to that. <laughs> okay, let's get into it because I read it this week. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he when he was setting up his business, he bought I think he bought 60 camping tents and was going to just flog them off in the trading post back in those days. And then he got a few inquiries to actually hire them out. And he went to get a business loan and he needed a business name. And he liked, there was a, there's a business called Will and the Wrecker. He sort of liked that that was quite catchy and memorable. So then he just came up with Harry the Hirer, even though his name was Rick. That's amazing. And it's stuck, you know. It's, I don't think he expected it to be the, the business that it is now. Um, but yeah, it's just synonymous with. That's so cool that he kept the Harry part in there. <laughs> Oh, it is absolutely, and then his son's name's Harry, but there's no sort of connection there. Yeah. And um, but yeah, no, it's quite a unique and it's memorable. You know, it's 
And you said you went to a HRA uh, meeting, did you say? Yes, last last Tuesday night, actually. Yeah. So, so maybe just for the audience, like, what are the what's the purpose of those meetings and, and what happens? Yeah, so they have a quarterly meeting for for members to attend in in all the key um, capital cities and all around the country. So it's just uh, you know you talk about things that are happening in the, in the industry, any incidents or things that um, have happened that people can learn from, and it's just good networking as well with other. Mm. other members so they actually gave your podcast a, a good mention mark so you'd be happy to see oh, it, hear that that's very nice of them it was and and then speaking of the um the high 22 event in adelaide so that's when i first saw the the site hq when yes. i was walking around so, so maybe we'll get back so we'll, we'll catch up now to where yeah, you left off before absolutely so, so um so just want to explain what's under the banner of site hq now yeah so there yeah so we we hire out we hire and sell portable toilets, temporary fencing, water fill barriers, shade cloth star pickets, portable site cameras, um, timber hoardings. Um, basically, the boys, when they set up their businesses, they were really early adopters of phone words and, and SEO. So by having business names which represented how to contact your business and also what you, what you were offering, they did really well with their Google results and SEO and that's how the business grew. But what it did, as they kept adding more and more products, we had all these business names. So I think we had 12 yeah. at the peak. And when we sort of got to a point where it's getting quite confusing, someone would ring the same person to order a roll of shade cloth. They'd hang up and ring one 300 star pickets and speak to the same person and order some star pickets. So we're like, we need to fix this. So that's where Site HQ was born. And we, we basically came up with the, the name about 18 months ago, um, built a a highly intuitive website um, that's been still being developed but is, is now live um, so we wanted to create an experience basically to tailor to the new generation of project managers where you could basically do everything from your device without having to ring up and speak to someone mm -hmm. um, so what the website does it actually there's quite a bit of um, it talks directly to our ERP system it's also got in the background a freight calculator module. So what you can do is you can go browsing through all of our products, fill your cart with whatever you need. It will then in real time, once you put your address in, it'll work out f freight loads um, and, and speak to numerous providers and come back with the, the best possible freight quote based on what's in your cart. Um, now our freight would be called lumpy or ugly freight, temporary fence panels, pallets of blocks so it, it it's very can be very time consuming for our guys to manually work out mm. transport for each of these orders so this site does it all for for the customer so it's you literally can order three semi loads worth of temporary fencing and not have to speak to anyone wow was that something that you spoke to your customers about and they wanted it or how did that come about i think we we identified that there wasn't really a anyone in the market offering that full e-commerce um, experience for our products so competitors have got online ordering capabilities but generally when you get to a certain amount of equipment it'll say you have to call us and organize this delivery so um, we saw it as an opportunity to to build something that was quite intuitive we also wanted to save a lot of the the human resource that ne was needed to calculate these you know, you know, freight movements every day. We wanted to make it easy for our people, so it was um, it was a, it was pr probably a, an issue we were having in our business that we wanted to solve. But we also knew that there wasn't anything 
yeah. in the market offering that. So. so so what happens, I go to your website, I want to get a truckload of, of temporary fencing and I place the order, I put the address in, calculate the freight, then what happens? Then, yeah, so that basically what happens then, um, all that our staff have to do is the warehouse just has to click that the order's been packed and it will automatically book transport with the the preferred provider and send it to our warehouse and, and then get it off to the customer. So oh, wow. there's there's a there's a freight a, a freight aggregator aggregating program we've got in the background which handles all the different providers and um, provides us with the different transport quotes and it automatically selects the cheapest option for the customer. So That's yeah, awesome. it's quite intuitive. So let's dig into that a little bit deeper. So when you first wanted to come up with this idea to, to build this this e-commerce platform yep. and then to today like what was the journey did you consult externally did you bring someone in like how did you yes. work through that yeah so we um we interviewed quite a few developers um and went through a pretty rigorous process to find um the people that we're using now to build it so they are an external agency that's building it for us um because it because of the complexities around the freight side of things you know the, the people we've used they, they seem to understand what we were trying to achieve it's probably taken a bit longer than what we thought just due to all the different nuances of um, calculating that freight and then we've got further development where we want account customers to be able to log in and get their own custom pricing and and things so that'll all be in the next phase um, the history and stuff correct like that. they'll be able to look at their order history um, it'll have all their delivery addresses pre-programmed in so you know you look at some major projects which might have multiple delivery points it'll just be really easy for their procurement teams to mm. to place orders with us so that, that was what we, we want to make it as easy as possible for the customer and so what's the directive to your your sales reps then are, are they told to still do the same account management or to like recommend customers to use the platform like how does it work from a sales perspective then yeah so our um they're 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 out there obviously just they're trying to generate sales and awareness through their customer base but yeah they're at the moment we're sort of directing people if they want to go through the website they can but also handling things sort of more traditional ways with emails and phone calls but um mm. we, we want to get to a point where our customers are ordering logging into their account and ordering just regularly and not having to you know get put on hold or yeah you know send an email and wonder when someone's going to respond or um, we want it to be sort of instantaneous and, and really easy. I, I think when customers do it for the first few times and they realize that the gear just turns up, then it's like, oh, well, that was easy. Correct. And then it's like, just, it just gets its own momentum. Definitely. Um, I think a lot of people are so used to calling and talking to somebody or sending an email and emailing a purchase order or whatever the, the scenario is. So I think once that trust builds up, it just it just grows organically. Definitely. You know, as time goes on, especially new customers. I, yeah, I was talking to a customer in the US, a customer, sorry, someone in the US, and uh, they they were looking at all the stats over, I think, 12 months, and they found that uh, a lot of their existing customers are using it, but they were getting a lot of new customers yep. from the website that they've never spoke to before. Yep. And so they found, like, that wasn't something that they expected. They thought it was going to be mostly existing customers. Yep. So it'd be interesting to see what uh, stats you get from the website and whether it actually expands out to more new customers as well. The new generation of, you know, project managers and um, CAs and engineers are, you know, people don't like picking up the phone anymore. Like, they, you mm. know, we're all ordering food on apps and we're ordering Ubers and taxis without talking to people. So I think just naturally the that new generation of, you know, le leaders in the high, you know, our customer base are going to 
prefer to deal with this via you know websites and apps and things so yeah that's very good and so and then on the higher side so one through 110 fence is still keeping its brand correct uh, yep yeah so it's obviously such a strong brand in the in in the market so yeah that'll that'll always be a higher or temporary friends higher business um and yeah it's yeah that's not going anywhere anytime soon so that's um that's how we started that's i mean that's who we are and that's what drives our business and, and what's whatever i know so yeah that'll that'll still remain our higher business where you'll contact us to hire temporary fencing and you know waterfield barriers and all of our full product higher product range but yeah mm. and so i'm actually at one of your new premises yes uh probably not for a good reason <laughs> um so i heard there was a fire recently there was there was there was a very big fire um probably two months ago now um on a Friday morning at our corporate head office in Derrimut in Victoria, um, it was about 8.30 a.m. I remember I was working from home and had a call from a good mate who's a senior firefighter and he said, oh, are you at work today? I said, yeah, I've just jumped on the computer at home and just doing a few emails. He goes, mate, I'd maybe just ring someone from the office and see what's going on. And yeah, sure enough, we'd, we had a, it was a huge factory fire at our corporate head office and, and main warehouse in, in Melbourne so it was um, yeah quite quite an event and quite an experience to try and navigate I guess. So, so maybe let's just build up to the the sequence of events so so what were you storing at that at that warehouse? So we basically had um, yeah temporary fencing a lot of the temporary fencing product and waterfield barriers and things were kept outside um, inside was a lot of our sales products so we sell. We had hundreds of portable toilets on the racks. Um, a lot of empty temporary feet, temporary fence feet. So that use we um, empty shelves. So plastic shelves were all in the in the um, in the racking. You know, hundreds of acoustic curtains, thousands of acoustic curtains, rolls of shade cloth. Um, we had a timber hoarding business, one through hundred hoarding, which all the um, ply sheets were were stored in the warehouse. Now they're obviously quite flammable. Um, what else crowd control barriers yeah just a host of mixture of metal plastic and timber um equipment plus our sight cameras which are you know made of you know different component plastic components and and also lithium batteries which was ended up being the the cause of the fire um which was yeah it was ignited by a, a faulty lithium battery that was on a charger um it was next to other lithium batteries on chargers um if people don't understand the how dangerous and you know volatile those that lithium batteries can be, that they once they catch on fire, they're very hard to put out. Um, the fire then caught um, there was some temporary plastic temporary fence feet shells on the racking as well as portable toilets, and they ignored it, ignited quite quickly, and the fire sort of hit the roof before we could sort of do anything. So it was quite. Yeah, quite scary for the people there. Um, there was probably 30 people on site, and a couple of brave souls had a had a go at putting it out. Um, but then, yeah, everyone evacuated and got out safely. But uh, and so everything lost in that warehouse. Everything within the warehouse was lost. Um, the office was basically untouched because there was a fire break wall, but um, a tilt a, a concrete tilt slab panel fell on the the office. So basically. Um, the whole place had to be demolished so it's, oh, wow. it's just a vacant concrete slab now with a bit of we still run it we're still keeping some higher equipment out there um, and we're still operating out of there but yeah it's in the process of being rebuilt 
Wow. So, so in terms of the lithium batteries, were you following standard procedures and charging? Like, absolutely. Yeah. So we, we um, it's very it's very underregulated how to handle and store lithium batteries. So the only guidelines are really to keep them out of direct sunlight, keep them off the ground, and keep them you know keep them out of you know, water and things, and keep them uniformly stored. So you know whether that's on a pallet or whatever so it was all they were all stored correctly um but yeah I, I personally i think for the for what could potentially happen with them um there should be stronger guidelines on how to handle them so we've actually invested in um insulated storage cabinets now um and different charging cabinets as well that are specifically designed the, the company's called Stormaster that we're using to to, to we used to procure all these cabinets for and now they're at all of our seven branches um around the country and in New Zealand um, to prevent anything like this happening again. So That's crazy. And so what was the aftermath? What was the next day? So the next day was a bit of shell shock. And um, the first thing we did was we were on speaking to commercial real estate agents trying to find another premise. Um, that was the, you know, the, the, the aim of the senior leadership was we need to keep, get this show up and running as quick as we can. So um, being the corporate head office is probably with with the warehouse staff, there's probably 70 people displaced. Um, so we had to find somewhere for everyone to work. And um, so, yeah, a few of us leaders were out looking at um, commercial property on the Sunday. Um, so we actually looked at the, where we're sitting today. We looked at that on the Sunday after the fire. Um, and then we we had a, you know some people in our business offered up their homes to, for people to work out of in the weeks after. Um, then we hired a temporary, some temporary office space for about a month or six weeks and our teams worked out of there until we could get everything sorted and moved in here on Mount Derrimut Road. But yeah, it was, it was quite inspirational what people did to band together. You know, we had people there on a Sunday pulling furniture out of the, you know, the destroyed office and so we saved a lot of equipment and, and things. But yeah, people were, it was quite galvanising mm. to, see, to see what people were willing to do. And I guess when stuff like that happens, you can sort of see the culture within organisation if people sort of stick together and, and sort of... Because that, that could be something that could ruin the team, yeah? Oh, definitely. People were scared and people were, you know, worried about, like, is that it for the business? Like, you know, people that sort of, you know, worked here for a long time and just see their whole business go up in flames. Is it, you know, people are worried about their livelihood. People are worried about their safety. Um where am I, you know, where am I going to be, am I working on Monday? It was, you know, it was quite an emotional time, but yeah, people really bandied together and we've got a great, it's a family business. It's got a great culture of, you know, people getting around each other. So, and it just, that, that, um, that underpinned what, you know, what we were able to, to achieve. And we were, we were delivering higher jobs on the Monday after the fire on the Friday, which was, which was quite impressive. So. Mm, it's crazy. And what was the response from your suppliers and your customers? Yeah, there was. I mean, we had a, we had hundreds of people reach out to us, and you know, competitors. You know, do you need trucks to help move? And yeah, like customers were understanding because you know there was a disruption to our business. Um, our sales business probably shut down for probably three weeks um, while we replenished stock. Our hoarding business lost all its um, plywood sheets, so they were they were severely affected. And our site camera business had no cameras, so um, people were understanding. They worked with us and. We're, we're basically fully operational now and fully stocked up so it's that's crazy it's gone quick and it was yeah we had i think that you know the, the weeks after the fire we had four or five trade shows we were exhibiting at so we had to just 
put a smile on our yeah, dial and just yeah because i think i saw you in adelaide it was like a week after maybe it was a few weeks after yeah, yeah. so we had to you know we had to sh- front up at adelaide and launch our new brand to the to the industry and you know put a brave face on but we're all still exhausted from that you know dealing with the fire and it's oh, crazy it crazy. was um yeah i saw on linkedin i i think i saw a bunch of team members working out of someone's house together correct so that was our office manager mel so she's been with us for well, probably 10 years plus she's sort of the uh the heartbeat of the business and she offered up her house and i think there was about 10 people all working from her <laughs> kitchen cool. bench sort of thing so yeah those sort of things were great stories and yeah it was uh, it was quite impressive so she gets a badge on the worn out she like some type of <laughs> oh she knows how valued she is in our business she's uh she looks after all of us so oh that's that's so good no that's i'm, I'm really glad to hear that it came back because yeah when i when i found out i think i was i think i found out the week of when it actually happened and then i was at the, the trade show i was so surprised everyone was there i was like these guys just seem like nothing happened i was like yeah this is like pretty brave to put that that that's that face on and yeah and then get through it well, i think as leaders we had to we had to put that face on and you know because i think a lot of people were worried and you know we were all worried ourselves but you know we we sort of had to just just get on with it and you know it was taxing it took a lot out of everyone but yeah it was it was good we, you know it was something that you learn from and you know we're still dealing with the fallout from it you know but it's yeah we're, we're pretty much full steam ahead now and so, so the advice you would give to other people uh, that are storing and charging um, lithium batteries is to invest in the right storage, you would think? I think, yeah, just even just, just sense check what you're doing, you know, like have a look at what you, because everyone, I, I guarantee every business, every person who, you know, listens to this podcast will have a lithium battery on a charger at home or, or in their workplace. So it's just, just quickly assessing whether you do need to invest in something a bit more robust or just just having a look at what, what where you are keeping your batteries and make sure they're tested and tagged and um, you know the charges aren't faulty and all that sort of stuff because they are very dangerous. So. Yeah, I think we were talking about it before the podcast when like uh, there's videos like Tesla's catching on fire and they just stay on fire for like 24 hours. They do, yeah. They and my um, my friend who's a fireman, he he said you, you can't put them out. You just have to you know create an exclusion zone and let them burn out. It's which is Crazy. quite scary because I mean we're all probably going to be driving battery-powered cars in the next 10 years so yeah yeah it's or hydrogen well yeah or hydrogen so <laughs> yeah the, the generators that come out the hydrogen the, i at, did at the trade show that massive white one i saw um blue, blue diamond i think kennards have invested in them yeah, yeah they I saw the that. first couple yeah so yeah no that's interesting for sure yeah, i'm super interested to follow that journey because it's uh it's a it's a pretty they're taking a, a massive step investing in a new technology stack uh for power uh, it still uses lithium batteries Yep. Um, but of the power source is obviously through hydrogen. But um, yeah. yeah, that was pretty impressive. That that generator that was like taller than me. I'm yeah. six five. It's, uh, <laughs> it's um, yeah, no, it's some, and we're probably we need some innovation. You know, like I think diesel powered generators have been around a long time. So I think it is time. You know, particularly with the price of diesel, it's probably becoming more affordable to to look at these alternatives. And yeah, it's exciting to see what you know. I think just in general the the um green green energy and wind farms and solar and that is is you know grown legs over the last mm. five years so definitely and then so talking about the higher 22 convention um how many shows have you been to i've been to so that was my second one mm-hmm. um so our, our sales business 50 percent of our turnover is other higher businesses so 
Um, it's quite a unique position to be in where you're, you can, you're competitors in one army business or your, your key customers in the other. So it's quite an interesting mm. dynamic. But that, that the hire show was the perfect vehicle for us to launch Side HQ because of that hire companies being our um, our biggest customers. And the reason being is that we, you know, we import about five or 600 containers of equipment a year. And a lot of companies don't have the the resource or the time to you know develop the supply chains with china and um or wherever you're importing from and whereas we you know we've got an in-house team um that do that every day so that you know we they get to benefit from our suppliers and you know efficiencies we've created over the years from you know we've been importing for probably 12 15 years now yeah um, yeah so it's it is good i think we provide a good service to the industry in that regard and that they you know make it easy for them to get their products and things so yeah, well, you actually were awarded Supplier of the Year. We were, yes, which was, um, um, yeah, quite an honour. It was quite unexpected. Um, we actually weren't there to receive the award. Oh, no, one of those people. Um, which was a little bit uh, embarrassing for us. But, um, yeah, no, we're truly humbled to, to have been awarded um, and recognised. Um, you know, we're a pretty down-to-earth, simple business. You know, we just want to, you know, you know just, a, just an honest you know company and just be easy to deal with and um with sort of no frills and yeah no it was quite a great great recognition within that particularly at that that core industry of the hire industry mm. to to be recognized so and then you said you've been to two of those events now uh through the hire rental industry association so what yes. do you typically get out of those events oh i think it's the the networking's great um just to to, to be around other businesses and uh, within the same industry and talking to suppliers and things and I think they put on a great show it's always there's plenty of socializing and late nights and it's um but yeah it's it's just great to come together and um yeah I, I you know I don't think I'll miss one from 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 this point on um, yeah. and and you were talking about potentially getting involved in the the mentoring program yeah so I um yeah I've put my hand up to to be part of the the young um, young professionals network, um, yeah, I just, just think to to personally just I guess you know, hopefully add some value to someone, but also learn you know learn off the mentee as well. You know, I think it's it's good to put yourself out of that comfort zone and you know take some time to spend with someone outside of your own business and network, and yeah. um, also understanding the younger generation. I guess like I don't think I'm that old, but it's you know, I can even I understand now that you know that younger people within business you know deal with things a different way. So it's it'd be good to understand what makes younger people tick, and yeah, hopefully yeah. add some value with my experience. And then coming back from the UK from uh, your overseas trip to then yep. today, where you're talking about mentoring someone from the next generation. Yeah. Like, is that something that you ever saw yourself doing, like going to that career path? No, absolutely not. Um, and yeah, it was funny. Like I probably didn't think when I put my hand up to be a mentor, I probably didn't know whether I was worthy. Um, um, bit like being on this podcast, to be honest. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm always looking to grow myself and put myself out of the comfort zone a bit. And um, yeah, I think. And it was quite when um, we had a Zoom call last week, and Aileen said she was glad that I I joined to be a mentor, and I, that, I sort of got a bit out of that because. Um, yeah, sometimes you, you don't sort of appreciate what you've done and can contribute and, you know, your experiences and things. So it's, yeah. Um, yeah. It's a strategic alignment training. It is, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
so yeah, they do a lot of work with the, the hire and rental industry and they do a great job. So yeah, it's good to be involved. I'm looking forward to, to getting into it. That's awesome. All right, well, let's learn a bit more about you. So uh, who do you think has played a big influence on you so far in your career as like maybe a mentor? Yeah, so early days um, when, I was, when I was at Coates High, Jared Biddleston um, was my mentor or, or my manager. Um, and he was, um, he, it, I sort of learned a lot off him. He, he was a great relationship guy. Like he, he was great value socially, um, but also just very structured with how he operated as well. So I learned a lot off Jared, and that's probably a, a stronger suit of mine is that social side of networking and rela- relationships, and um, that resonated a lot with with me. So yeah, Jared was definitely an early an early mentor. Um, Similar thing at Harry the Hire, I, I worked for a, a guy called Hayden Munro who had been there for probably 10 or 12 years and he, he again, he, his network was just, he, he is phenomenal and he just knows his customers, they're, they're, they're all his best friends just after years in the industry. So it made me realise that that, that um, relationships is extremely important. Um, and then there's another guy, um, Mark Davies, who's the CEO of SpaceCube, who um, I spent a bit of time with. Um, he, he sort of mentored me, sort of outside of um, my current, outside of Harry's, and he was he was a good sounding board and gave me some good advice um, just on how to grow my career and you know things. Um, so yeah, they're, they're probably the three that Space Cube. What do they do? So they do. Um, so they're big in the event space. So they do like a you know, six by three sort of container sized mm. uh, modular structures um so that they 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 do multiple corporate facilities at the grand prix and major events and they sort of go head to head with harry the hire a bit um so they're yeah they're they're um de- probably definitely more event focused but um making some waves definitely in the event space yeah that's nice and so if you could maybe go back to when you're living overseas yep what advice would you give to yourself? Um, probably stay another year and enjoy yourself. <laughs> I've got two young kids now, so um, it seems like a, a long time ago. But um, I think um, that 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 experience sort of set me up. I'm, I'm glad I did it when I did and um, got to experience the world. And because once you get into your career and your family and things, it, you know, it's hard enough to find a minute to take your wife out for dinner or meet the boys for to watch the footy sort of thing these days so i think enjoy yourself while you can and then you know you sort of know when you get to a point to knuckle down and some people get too serious too early i think you should um yeah enjoy yourself find yourself have your experiences and then sort of find the career that suits and yeah, yeah and i think like i got pretty serious when i was probably in my mid-20s and then i, I sort of realized that i wanted to go overseas and i I knew if I kept on progressing that I just would have kept on working the as hard as possible. And so yeah. I ended up just quitting and just traveling overseas and it was like the best thing ever. Yeah. It's just so but good. You got to do it because, yeah, you, you're right. You get too bogged down with things and, you know, well, that work-life balance, everyone always talks about it. And I've had moments in my life where I haven't been able to find it and, you know, you're not spending enough time with your family. And it's really important to, to really, you know, do the things mm-hmm. that you, you enjoy because there's no point yeah. working hard and never enjoying yourself. Yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about having... So I just had my first kid, uh, Joshua. He's, oh, nine, he's nine months. Congratulations. Um, which has been amazing. But uh, we we're, were just chatting about it and it was like, 
like kids like they don't care about how much money you spend on them they care about your time like the time Correct. Is, is the is the currency yeah that they want and if you forget about that like time just goes by the next second they're 10 or they're 18 or they're 20 and then you sort of just forgot yeah uh, and then oh but yeah but i worked here and i did that and it's like that's nice but <laughs> well that's it yeah, yeah i said to my daughter last summer we had a like a crappy little blow-up pool in the backyard and i said i'm sorry darling one day i'll be able to afford to get you a proper pool and she goes what do you mean dad we've got a pool <laughs> like she's just she was just stoked that we were out in the backyard you know hanging out together so yeah you sort of kids kids are the great they're, they're just honest you know like there's yeah. no too honest sometimes there's, well correct <laughs> but there's no um especially if you ask them what you look like but um yeah you know so that was a, that was a like i'll never forget her saying that it sort of made me think just you don't need all these things you got a beautiful family and that's important and mm. you know everything else is just you know how crazy is that but like how old is she sorry she's four now yeah a four-year-old can have an influence on someone with just those words like oh definitely yeah, yeah. it's just because it's it's just coming from a purely innocent place you know she's got no motives she's just having a ball in the backyard and a little bunnings blow up pool you know <laughs> she, she wouldn't she wouldn't want to be anywhere else so oh, that's so good yeah so so then how do you how did you manage the the split between um like not not committing too much to work and making sure you got a bit of a, a balance there yeah i think it's taken me a long like i only said to my wife on the weekend that i feel like we're finally getting to a point where we're we got the right mix because um yeah I, you can get too bogged down so i won't work when i get home from work i'll i'll bath the kids and hang out with them and wait till they're in bed and then i might do some work after later at night but and then it's a couple of days a week just you know coming a bit then th this business is great for work-life balance and family so i just make sure that i'm there a couple of mornings a week and uh and then you know weekends are swimming lessons and you know heading to the park and you know that sort of thing so yeah it's just and then you got to make time for your wife and partner and yeah. you know it's a juggle but yeah i think um yeah you just got to make and you know the e the email can wait till tomorrow and you know things that you think are important can if, if you get to it the next day it's not going to be the end of the world so yeah no definitely i think yeah yeah the the email waiting till tomorrow is a big one like i feel like i used to think that like if i sent that extra email out that everything would be amazing tomorrow and yeah. like nothing actually no, changes it's gonna be a hundred more tomorrow mate exactly. that's just what happens you know and it's just part of the process yeah and it's i mean you got you got emails arriving on your phone your watch is telling you you've got an email like if i take a day off i I'd take the, the mail app and put it at the move it to the back of my phone where i can't easily access it and things like that just to mm. try and switch off when you're when i'm on leave and so yeah because yeah I remember I remember working on my laptop when I was on my honeymoon and my wife looked at me like I had two heads and I said you're right I probably you know probably need to uh, just concentrate on my honeymoon rather than uh, yeah. writing emails I so. think I was doing work on my honeymoon as well yeah <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> and when you you know when it's a job you love and a career you love it's hard to switch off but yeah, yeah. No, that's it so then uh, finally how do you define success success i think if you enjoy it used to be a money thing but i think if you enjoy what you're doing the money's irrelevant you know and, blow up pool, yeah? yeah correct <laughs> you know till you can afford a, big, a bigger blow-up pool um so yeah i think you know if you're happy in your life and your your family and um 
you know, and you enjoy coming to work and the people you work with, you know, it's um, that's success to me. I, I don't need a I don't need a mansion as long as we've got a roof over our heads and we're we're happy and healthy. I think that's that's success for me. And I like I've got a big friendship group. I've you know maintaining those connections and are important to me. And family is very important as well. So just making sure you you make time for not just your immediate family, but your mum and your dad, your brother, and and everything. So that's nice. Yeah. Well, Dan. Well, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. No worries. Thanks for having me, Mark.